we've had our house painted earlier this year, and the real challenge was not finding a color for the siding or for the trim. The real challenge was finding the color for the door. And I must have painted that door, I think at least three times, with different shades of gray blue. You know, these days, the door is the focal point of a house, and you want it to pop. You, you draw attention to it. Well, today we're going to be talking about the most important door there is, Jesus. Jesus is the door, the door of his sheep. And we're in this series, this Advent sermon series, looking at the eight statements of Jesus in the book of John, the I am statements. We call it the gift of the great I am. And as we look at these I am statements, we're discovering afresh the meaning of the incarnation and the blessing that it is for us. The first sermon we looked at, John chapter 8, verses 58, where Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. This is the greatest of the I am statements because in this statement, he's declaring himself to be God. God identified himself. He gave his name to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. He said, I am. And this is what Jesus was declaring about himself as well. And because of this I am statement where Jesus declares himself to be God, that statement validates all the other I am statements of Jesus as well. He is all of these other I am statements because he is God. Last week we looked at the I am statement in John chapter 14 verse 6 when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. He is the way. No one comes to the Father except through Him. He's the exclusive way to salvation, to reconciliation with God, a saving relationship with the Father, and having eternal life in heaven. Today's I Am statement is found in John chapter 10, verse 7 through 10. Jesus says something similar to I am the way, in that he is the only door, the only way that someone can be in God's flock. Through him, anyone who believes can be saved, find safety and fulfillment and abundant life. Well, to understand these I am, this I am statement in our text more fully, we need to look first at the context of the text. We first start with the previous chapter, in chapter 9. Jesus heals a blind man at the temple gate. He wonderfully restores his sight. He was blind from birth. And he does this on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders are hostile. And they assail this man. They want to know who healed him. And he tells them that it was Jesus. They tell him that Jesus is not from God because he healed on the Sabbath. He broke their laws. They asked the man what he thought of Jesus, and this man said he was a prophet. They got this man's parents involved. They asked them, but 
out of fear of being put out of the synagogue, they deferred back to their son. They again called this blind, formerly blind man in and wanted him to say that Jesus was a sinner. And he refused. And they reviled him and told him, Jesus must not be from God. And the man countered and he said, you do not know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes? And he exclaims, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The religious authorities then told this man that he had been blind from birth because he was born in sin. And they cast him out. They excommunicated him from the synagogue. But later on, Jesus finds this man and he reveals to him that he is indeed the Son of Man. And this man said, I believe. And he began to worship Jesus. And this incident in chapter 9 illustrated that the Pharisees and the religious authorities were not true shepherds of God's people. And so in using this imagery of shepherd and sheep, Jesus gives us the parables of chapter 10. So follow along with me as I read John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, and we'll be focusing upon verses 7 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Thus far the reading of God's word. Jesus is using this familiar imagery of shepherding and sheep in this parable because there were lots of shepherds and lots of sheep in, in those days. But what we might not realize is that he is describing two different settings in these passages that we have just read. In verses 1 through 6, he's using the, sh the setting of, point number 2, the shepherd and the courtyard sheep pen. The courtyard sheep pen. Now next week, we're going to look thoroughly at Jesus' declaration that I am the good shepherd. And so today we're primarily focusing on Jesus as the door of the sheep. But it's impossible to deal with one without the other to some degree. So in verses 1 through 6, the setting is a sheep pen in the village or in the town. You see, people who owned sheep would keep their sheep in a common sheep pen at night. 
that would usually be surrounded by the walls of a courtyard. Families would pay a gatekeeper to watch the sheep at night. And in the morning, the individual shepherds would come to the sheep pen and they'd be recognized by the gatekeeper and he would let them into the pen. And then the shepherd would call his sheep. Now, sheep are not very intelligent creatures, but they do quickly recognize their shepherd's voice. In the Middle East, the shepherds would call different sheep by different names according to their characteristics or according to their appearance. And so Jesus is teaching here that those who are not the true shepherds try to climb in the pen another way rather than going through the gate to avoid the gatekeeper. They're thieves. They're robbers. They try to steal the sheep. Their ministry was not devoted to the good of the sheep, but to their own gain. Now, who does the gatekeeper represent? Well, some commentators suggest that it's the Holy Spirit or God the Father or the Word of God, which specifically identifies the character and the work of good shepherds and the ultimate shepherd, the Messiah, distinguishing them from the false shepherds. Ezekiel 34 is a passage where God chastises the shepherds, the spiritual shepherds of Israel who didn't care for the welfare of the sheep, but only for themselves. Jesus says, the true shepherd enters by the door and the gatekeeper recognizes him and opens the door and then the shepherd calls his sheep by name and they recognize him and he leads them out. When he has brought them out of the pen, he goes before them and they follow him. But they won't follow a stranger. They will flee from a stranger. They don't know the voice of a stranger. And so in this part of the parable, Jesus is focusing on the false shepherds who are really robbers and how the true sheep of the shepherd, God's people, only hear and follow him. Well, in verse 6, We are told the Jews and the religious leaders didn't understand what Jesus was saying to them using this figure of speech. And so he changes slightly to a different setting. And that's what we're looking at in verses 7 through 10. And here we see a focus on point three, the shepherd and the open country sheep pen. So we had before the courtyard sheep pen. Well, now is the open country sheep pen. You see, when shepherds would take their sheep out into the wilderness to find pasture land, and when nightfall would come, they would have to find a place for the sheep to be safe. And they would know where there were some of these countryside sheep pens that had been built previously by shepherds But sometimes they would have to build their own right on the spot. And they would do that by taking up rocks and boulders and rolling them into place and making them into walls. But then there would be one opening. And that opening would be the place where the shepherd would sleep at night. He would become the door to that 
sheep pen. He would lay down to keep the sheep in and to keep predators out. Now, interestingly enough, you know, this time of year we're thinking about the Christmas story and we think about Luke chapter 2 and the shepherds at night tending their flocks. Well, this is the probable setting that was happening at that time. The angel appears to the shepherds watching their sheep and they're probably in this kind of sheep pen. And the shepherds would be standing or sitting or laying down as the door. Well, in the first part of this parable, Jesus was focusing on himself as the shepherd and then the religious leaders who were robbers, who were thieves, who tried to steal the the sheep, who tried to go uh, over the wall and not through the gate, and the sheep discerning the true shepherd. But here in verses 7 through 10, the focus is upon Jesus being the door to open the country sheep pen. Now let's examine more closely what he's communicating through this allegory. First of all, we recognize point A, the obvious, Jesus is the door. In verse 7, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And then in verse 9, he repeats it again, I am the door of the sheep. Now a door is used as an entrance or an exit or uh, to, to protect or to uh, provide safety or security. But there's only one door, and that is through the shepherd, Jesus. So this is what he's declaring about himself, and he begins with that statement that we hear a lot, truly, truly, I say to you. When Jesus uses this double adverb, he's calling attention to this assertion, this important teaching in this allegory about his ministry, his role. He is the door. And when he says this, he's declaring himself exclusively to be the door, the only way to enter God's flock. This flock represents God's people. True believers, followers of Christ, the elect. This is how we enter into the kingdom of God through the door of Jesus. In other words, through believing in Him, trusting in Him as our Lord and Savior. Notice once again, though, in verse 8, as in the first section, in verses 1 through 6, how he emphasizes these thieves and these robbers who came before him. You know, we've heard a lot in the news how there's more and more shoplifting taking place and how many shoplifters don't even try to conceal the merchandise they're taking because the store clerks are being told, let them go. And these shoplifters, depending on where it happens, know that prosecutors are not going to... uh, prosecute them or they're going to be very lenient but the kind of thieves that are being referred to here with this Greek term is someone who steals by stealth secretly cunningly and so there are these false shepherds who use their cunning and false teaching to persuade sheep and then robbers are those 
sheep stealers who use intimidation, who use the threat of physical violence. And this is what Jesus says the religious leaders were doing and had done before his arrival. But the second emphasis in this section is point B, the sheep listen only to the shepherd. He says in verse 8, but the sheep did not listen to them. And in the first section, we're told they hear their shepherd's voice when he calls his own sheep by name. We are sheep, and Jesus has called us by name if we are believers. Now, how do we recognize the voice of Jesus and respond to him in faith and repentance? Well, we know what Scripture teaches us, what Jesus taught us in John chapter 3, that we must be born again. God, by his Spirit, must give us a new nature and regenerate us. And that's how we recognize the voice of Jesus calling us to faith and repentance. And we come and to his call, we, we respond to his call by grace. It's not because of anything that we have done to earn God favoring us with his grace. And so we initially respond to Jesus, his voice in his word, but then as believers, we instinctively listen to Jesus as he speaks to us through the Bible and we'll be students of God's word and know instinctively to reject and not listen to false shepherds and false teaching. Well, now we come back to how Jesus is the door in verse 9. After saying, I am the door, the second time, he says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And so point C, the sheep who enter by Jesus will be saved. One of the main functions of a door is entering into another room or entering into a house. And so this is assuming there is something that needs to be entered into. And of course, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, the family of God. He's talking about salvation, reconciliation with God, a relationship with God, heaven. You see, we are not naturally in a relationship with God. We are not naturally a part of his fold. And why is that? Because we're born with a sinful nature, passed down to us from Adam. All of us inherit this sinful nature, and we're separated from God. We're in rebellion against God. God is holy, and we must be completely holy to be accepted by God. But we violate His commandments. We sin against His laws every day in thought and in word and deed. But in addition to this, God requires that we pay for our sins. He is just. He is a judge. And so we have this sin debt before God that we cannot repay. And God must judge it in hell. And therefore, we don't deserve to be in God's sheep pen. Uh, we are sinners. We cannot be completely righteous as he demands. And we have this sin debt that we cannot atone for. But this is why Jesus came to this world. He came 
the second person of the Trinity, God himself, to this earth to take on a human body and a human nature without sin in order to be our substitute, to come and provide us with perfect righteousness. He, as a human being and 100% God, fulfilled the commandments for us in order for his people to receive his righteousness, to be credited with his righteousness. He also came to atone for our sins. When he went to the cross, he took on the debt of our sins and he received the justice of God on that cross through his suffering and his bleeding and his death. And of course, on the third day, he rose from the dead, validating who he was, proving he was the Messiah, God's son. And he overcame sin and death and the devil for us. And he provided us with justification, being righteous before God and forgiven of all of our sins. And so entering into the door of Jesus means we accept and we believe in who he is and what he did for our salvation. And he's the only door because there is no other way to have a righteous record before God, a perfect righteous record. And there is no other way for our sins to be atoned for than through Jesus. You know, the world, and some who even may call themselves Christians, deny that Jesus is the only door to reconciliation with God, the only door to heaven, the only door of salvation. They say it would be intolerant to deny salvation by other ways. And this is why Christianity's gravest offense in our relativistic age that we live in is this biblical teaching that Jesus is the only way. But brethren, this is what the Bible teaches. This is what Jesus teaches and declares over and over again using these various metaphors and allegories and I am statements. He is the door, the door, the only door. And to teach otherwise would do the greatest harm and propagate the most unloving lie there is. Now notice the offer. If anyone enters by me, this is an offer to anyone. Who are the people who can enter? Jesus says anyone. Even though he is the only door, he offers it absolutely to everyone. He does not say only those with a good reputation, only those who have a certain nationality, only those who have led a decent life know anyone. Now, is this a contradiction to election? Not at all. In John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. See, people who will come have been chosen by the Father and given to the Son. In Ephesians 1, 4, it says, God has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Jesus affirms this down in verse 29 of chapter 10 when he says, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. But the gospel is freely offered to anyone. And in the same verse where Jesus says 
in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. He adds, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So there is this external, general call to everyone. And then there is this internal, effectual call of the elect. See, the two teachings present the gospel from two different perspectives. One, the perspective of God, the Godward side of the divine creed, and then the other from the human side of man's opportunity and responsibility. Imagine that there is a door with a cross on it, and everyone is asked to go through that door. And on the the front side facing you is written this phrase, whosoever will may come. And you stand there and you decide that you need to enter. And you do. And you're forgiven of all of your sins. You are declared righteous. You have the gift of eternal life and adoption into God's family. But then you turn around and you look at that same door, the back side of that door that you just came through. And it has on it chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Well, Jesus is not done describing what going through him as the door to the sheep pen will do. Salvation is through him. But also Jesus says next in verse 9, and I will go in and out. And will go in and out. Now what does that expression mean? Go in and out. Well, this is point D. The sheep who enter by Jesus will be secure. This phrase, go in and out, was an idiom, an expression in Hebrew and Aramaic that communicated the freedom of protection. We read, for example, in Psalm 121, 8, it says, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. What is that speaking of? It's speaking of protection and security. Now, in Christ's day, When people could go in and out of their homes without danger, when they could go in and out of their villages without fear, they had peace. I think about our own contemporary situation. It just seems like in the news, people in our country are feeling less and less safe going out of their doors, going out into their communities. There are certain areas, of course, where people who used to feel safe going to the store, going to the convenience store, well, they, they don't have that sense of security anymore. And this sense of insecurity tempts us to feel like we're under siege and we want to just shut ourselves up in our homes and use Amazon or DoorDash to get whatever we need. Our going in and our going out is not as safe as it used to be. But if you have gone through the door of Jesus Christ, you are ultimately safe and protected by our Savior, by our Shepherd. Now, that doesn't mean that bad things can't happen to you, but you know that God is in control of everything for your good. And even the hard and painful things are ultimately for your good. And he's protecting all of us who are believers from ultimate spiritual destruction and the schemes 
of the evil one and evil shepherds. And furthermore, we're told we can never lose our salvation, that he will always be with us. He'll never forsake us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. You know, one of the common commands in Scripture towards God's people is this phrase, fear not, fear not. This was told the shepherds when the angel appeared to them and announced Jesus' birth. They didn't have to fear. Why? Because this was good news. A Savior was born who is Christ the Lord. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And for those who believe in Jesus, they are secure in his care. They are secure in salvation and in God's love. Jesus said in Luke 12, 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Believers have peace. Believers know that their souls are safe for all time. And even death brings us into the real presence of the Lord, can only bring us greater pleasure. So whatever our trials and tribulations, Christ is with us to help us, to strengthen us, to bless us, to keep us safe. The final benefit of entering the saving door of Jesus is point E. The sheep who enter by Jesus will be satisfied and have abundant life. Look at the end of verse 9. He says, and find pasture. When you read that, I think many of you were probably thinking of the 23rd Psalm, right? Because God is the good shepherd. He leads his sheep to green pastures, causes them to lie down. He leads them beside quiet waters. He restores their souls. See, the ultimate goal of a good shepherd is to lead his sheep to green pastures, to graze in a place where they can be safe and nourished. And this is what God does for us. Palestine was a barren land at that time, and good pasture land was hard to find. But when they found it, it communicated prosperity and contentment and satisfaction and health and happiness. Jesus is the door and the shepherd that brings us ultimate satisfaction to our souls. Now in closing this thought in verse 10, Jesus contrasts himself with the false shepherds, their goals and his goals. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. The goals of the false shepherds are destruction for the sheep. But Jesus has come to bring true life, abundant life. You see, we were made to have fellowship with our Creator. And this is what Jesus does for us as the door. He meets the greatest need of our souls. So we've examined another one of Jesus' I am statements. I am the door of the sheep. And we've seen the context of this passage. We've seen the difference between the two sheep pens. And we've examined the different aspects of Jesus as the door. So what? What difference does this make to us in the way that we live and think? What are some of the takeaways, applications to these truths? 
Well, let me give you three very quickly. First, enter the door. Enter the door. If you are outside the fold, the shepherd offers you reconciliation with God, salvation, an eternal relationship with him, heaven, peace, and joy. He offers you acceptance before him, even though you are not righteous in and of yourself. He offers you the righteousness of Christ. He offers you forgiveness of all of your sins. You know, it's interesting. Jesus doesn't say he's a wall, but he's a door. Meaning we don't have to climb anything. We don't have to work our way to him. All we have to do is open the door. And the door is opened by faith. Faith and repentance. And admitting that we need him as our savior. That we cannot save ourselves. Just as Isaiah 53, 6 said in our assurance of pardon. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus took our iniquities and he paid for them through his blood, through the cross. And his resurrection proves that believers have justification. They're declared righteous and forgiven of their sin. The second application to this text is rely on the door. Enter the door and rely on the door. Back when I was a kid, there was a game show on TV called The Price is Right. And, you know, I did a little research on it. I didn't realize that that show's still running. (laughs) I I, I couldn't believe it. I don't watch a whole lot of daytime TV. I guess that's why. But as I remember it, back in the old days, there was a door. And the door was open. And behind that door, there were all these amazing prizes, sometimes a brand new car. And the contestants had to guess the value of these prizes. And the closest to the actual price, without going over the price, would win all of these prizes. Christ is the door, the door to these invaluable, immeasurable blessings. And the wonderful thing is, we don't have to pay a price for them. He did that already. He's the door to these amazing blessings through his incarnation, life, death, and resurrection. He opens them up for us all, and we're meant to enjoy them. But what do we do? We turn away from the door. We think sometimes the world has better prizes and promises. And Jesus says, no, come back to me. It's only through me that you have these wonderful blessings, this abundant life, this security, this satisfaction, salvation. But we're constantly having to repent of idolatry, turning to the world's promises instead of keeping our eyes on Jesus. We need to keep our eyes on him. We need to appropriate these great blessings we have in Christ by faith and keeping our focus on our Savior See, all the other doors of this world lead to dungeons, dungeons of slavery. Paul says, though, in Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. We need to look to him instead of the false idols of this world. 
And this time of year, of course, what, what are we tempted to look to instead of Jesus? The sentimentalism of the holiday, the festivities, the food, the materialism, all those things that may not in and of themselves be bad, but we often make them idols and look to those things for our satisfaction instead of Jesus. He's the only source of spiritual nourishment and abundant life. You know, one of the benefits of Jesus being our door is that we have entered the sheep pen with all the other sheep who are the good shepherd's flock. They aren't perfect, we know that, and yet they know the shepherd. And they will encourage us to find our security in green pastures in him. Sheep are kept safe together. They enjoy pastures together. They follow one another as they follow the shepherd. And so I think, in a way, Jesus is teaching us the importance of being a part of the local church and being in fellowship with other believers. It's crucial to experiencing the blessings of Jesus being our door. Finally, welcome others to the door. If you walk around this time of year in your neighborhoods, you'll see beautiful Christmas decorations, and you'll notice that often house doors have a spotlight on them and a wreath. Our our door has a wreath with some bells on it, and I like lights, and so I have one of these LED rope lights around the door, and it sparkles with blue and white light. It's sort of the centerpiece of all of uh, the decorations. Well, that is except the uh, manger scene. (laughs) But some wrap their doors like presents with a bow on it. You know, I've always noticed this about some doors. Uh, the, the traditional doors are these uh, three or six panel doors. And, and you know what they look like? A cross. I've always wondered, uh, who came up with that? I went online and they say, oh, that's just a, a myth, you know, that it, it's made to look like a cross. But someone said it looks like a cross and then an open Bible on the bottom. Well, I'd like to think of it as reminding me of the cross. And my point here is, welcome others to the door. The door is to be the centerpiece of your home, of of your, your life as a believer, because Jesus is the door. We are to adorn the door. We are to put a spotlight on the door, meaning Jesus and what he's done through his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus says, if anyone enters by me, they will be saved. They will have security. They will be satisfied. They will have abundant living and eternal life. What an amazing offer. We're to be making this known to everyone, every, all times of the year. But this time of the year, we have a unique opportunity to do this as people gather together to celebrate Christmas, we can speak about the gift of the great I am and how he is the door of salvation, the door of safety, the door of satisfaction, the door of abundant living. These opportunities we have, I just encourage you to take advantage of them, like caroling this afternoon. Sign up if you haven't done so already to carol in in one of these neighborhoods. Next Sunday, lessons and carols, bringing people to hear the gospel. Our services, our Christmas Eve service, our Christmas service, all 
designed to herald Christ and the reason for his incarnation. May we put the spotlight on Jesus this season and all year round. Please pray with me. Oh Lord, thank you for being the door. Lord, may we never look at these six panel doors again without thinking of your cross and how you are the door that provides us with salvation. Entrance into the sheep pen, your kingdom. Thank you for becoming the door, Lord. Thank you for laying your body down to become the door for us through your righteous living and through your atoning death and resurrection. Oh Lord, help us to point people to you as the door, the door to salvation. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.